0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills.
2: Steve oh! Smith is going to go all the way. The Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, close to the end zone. Olson. This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater, throw into the end zone. Touchdown. Samuel, still on his feet. Inside the five to the end zone. Touchdown. What a play. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He (laughs) pounded.
3: All right, campus fans, welcome to another edition of the Roar podcast with uh, two people from my particular childhood. Let's go way back, <laughs> way back. Let's make it feel old. The voice is still ringing in my head. The king is dead. <laughs> I got a hankering for a <laughs> hunk of cheese. It's <laughs> Bill Rosinski and Jim Zoki. How you doing, guys?
2: Uh, John, I'm great. Uh, this is uh, this is a, a pleasure to talk with, uh, with you and the fans, and it's hard to believe it's been Someone was talking to me the other day about uh, my being the voice of the team. And I go, you know, that was almost 17 years ago, 16 years ago, something like that. So it's been a long time, but a lot of great memories, including with uh, the other guy on the screen here.
4: Yeah, Bill, I'm excited to hear what you've been doing for the last 17 years. I want to catch up and see <laughs> what you've been doing, because I never speak to you. Yeah. <laughs> John, thanks for reminding us that you listened to us as a child. When your dad said he listened to us as as a child, that was bothersome. (laughs) I can't confirm that. I can't confirm I just turned 40, so maybe that'll make you feel even better.
2: Not much.
3: Not much, yeah. (laughs) But guys, listen, uh, we talked to Eugene Robinson earlier and just another (laughs) outstanding um, individual as well as just one of the best analysts I've ever heard. And I'm a little biased, but Talk about Eugene for a minute. I guess, uh, Bill, you first, the, the, the opportunity to work with a former safety in the league who had so much energy and passion, cared about this team so much. And some of the key calls you had, and, and Jim, you as well, Eugene was right there in the middle with some of his signature moments. What was Eugene like, not only as a man, obviously, but, but as a
2: broadcaster working with? Uh, Eugene was uh, great to work with. You mentioned his enthusiasm. And he had some big shoes to fill because the first seven years Jim and I worked together, it was with Roman Gabriel. Yep. And Roman was great. He came at it with the quarterback eye when he analyzed a game, and he was Roman Gabriel. I thought <laughs> I used to watch you on TV when I was a kid was <laughs> playing at the Coliseum. Yeah. So that that was really special. And then Eugene came in. Roman left. It was pretty quickly. I mean, we didn't know he was leaving until what? Jim? It might have been June, July that year. I think something. Uh, Going into uh, 2000, what was it one? I guess.
4: Yeah, these things happen quickly in our business.
2: <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, and Eugene came in, and uh, I will never forget that we were doing an early game. I think we were in Tampa, and uh, you know he's he's there in the booth, and Jim and I are there. And was something was going to happen? Uh, we we were on defense, and all of a sudden Eugene jumps up. He starts yelling out of the press box, trying to get Mike Minner's attention. <laughs> because, because he he saw what was coming, and he's yelling at Mike Minner, and I'm going Eugene. He can't hear you up here, and and I think the enthusiasm and the fact that he had just retired that oh, that was yeah. the big yeah. thing. The juices you know, were still had,
3: flowing, Bill. The juices were yeah. still flowing. Yeah.
2: yeah, no doubt. And he had been a Panther, so uh, a lot of that went into it.
4: Jimmy, thoughts on Eugene? Not a not a one. No Eugene. Uh... <laughs> And we still see Eugene all the time because we see him on Panther mm-hmm. Talk every Monday night during the season, which just ended last week and Sunday with the post-game wrap-up show. And he'll sit in the booth with me as we, we, we do the games uh, on Sundays, even just hanging out. We'll talk during the commercial breaks and things like that. But just what the fans heard was genuine. His enthusiasm level for the game, uh, for being a Panther fan, having played for you know several different organizations, only played one year here at the end of his career with the Panthers. I mean, he, he bleeds the black and blue and he's a Panther fan. And it was a, yeah, a, a different kind of cat than Romeo. Roman was kind of like having Joe Namath. I mean, it was like having this Bigger Than Life, been on Gilligan's Island, uh, John Wayne movie. <laughs> I mean, Bill would say, we'll, we'll go on road trips. We'd be having dinner. And I I lost count of the number of uh, parents that would walk up with their baby Gabe or their baby Roman or (laughs) whatever. I mean, from Philadelphia, from LA. Uh, And and then with Eugene, I mean, it's just like, he was just like recently retired at that time, as as Bill said. So you got that that current player's perspective as opposed to uh, the older stories. They're both great, but it was just a a different feel and a vibe. And we actually had to tone Eugene down because of his enthusiasm, not just yelling at Mike Minter, uh, but just throughout (laughs) the game because he just was, vocal and and you heard that passion but you know uh, a lot of enthusiasm but when you listen both those guys but since we're talking about Eugene just his knowledge of the game and I still enjoy so much doing Panther talk and things like that with him you learn so much just by spending some time with him. Absolutely we talked about that earlier in our conversation you guys will hear
3: that uh, in this very show later on Uh, just the point I made to him his last word on on Eugene sorry Eugene we got to move on here. Uh, Eugene was so energetic and, and it was so Genuine, You know, I, I think that's what made people buy into it. But but also, he would take those six, seven seconds after and explain why the safety was out of position or why the quarterback missed the seven route. He was always very good, sort of like Romo before his time in a way, I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I think the three of you guys were, were just outstanding. And, and Roman, too. I'm glad you brought that up. That, that's a perfect segue into 1995. Okay, so let me tell you where I'm at in 1995. I'm a freshman at J.L. Mann High School in Greenville. And the San Francisco 49ers, as per their usual you know, routine would come to high schools and practice. So i turn around and I see John Taylor and, uh, you know, who else? Uh, Brent Jones, Steve Young. And I was mesmerized by the NFL game at that point, and that was the entry portal into my Panthers fandom and NFL fandom. Uh, that 95 season, guys, in Clemson, the dynamics of having to travel and I, the, the training camp being really, you know, tricky in a first year, but at the same time, Bill, you can speak to this. We talked about it. The the, the franchise they were able to build with the track was an experienced one. And they were ready to win right away. Just your takeaway from that 95 season, not only as a team, but but calling those first games of the Frank Reich, you know, era just uh how how special was that to be the first calling. <laughs> There's Jim with the goods, man. Always. Look how thick yeah. that was. This is the oh, first yeah, year. Yeah.
4: Oh. People have note like reporters' notebooks or. Where's different. the Paul Butcher page? Get to that. Oh yeah, Psycho Butcher. I'll, go, ahead, go ahead, Bill. I'll look it up. Give me a Tommy Barnhart yeah. scouting report. Bill, what was at, that at,
3: like? Calling some of those great plays, building that Sam Mills uh, Jets intercept.
2: Well, it was. Uh, let me start with uh, just the training camp that year in Spartanburg, and this was at, like six weeks. This was, and it was a hundred degrees every day, two a days most of the time as they were trying to weed through all these guys who were trying to make this football team. And then we went to the hall of fame game to play that very first football game, uh, playing Jacksonville, the other expansion team. And even though Bill Polian to this day, will tell you it was not a big deal to beat Jacksonville. It was a big deal uh, to, to go there and win that game and get things going. I don't know if we knew, I, I will tell you a story. I was after we'd gone through a couple of uh, preseason games mm-hmm. And I was on the air on WBT, and someone asked me about what I thought the Panthers would be that year. And I said, you know, uh, coming from Atlanta, I was a voice of the Falcons for three years before I came to Charlotte. And I said, you know, I think this team can win six, seven games this year. So I'm at practice the next day. And Mike McCormick, who was the team president at the time, Hall of Famer, walks up to me and he says, hey, I heard you on the radio yesterday. How can you tell anybody (laughs) that this team has a chance to win six or seven games? And he wasn't happy. Yeah, and sure. I said, I said, this is what, uh, you know, this is what I think will happen. And lo and behold, after that right. awful start, yeah. uh, they were actually talking playoffs, maybe with three weeks to go in the season. Yes. Yeah.
3: They, and they, Bill, they beat the gym too. They beat some good teams. They beat new England on the road. They beat, uh, and then new England was a little off that year, but still it's a, a very well coached team. Uh, they beat John, uh, Jim Harbaugh, uh, I believe at home, right? The Colts, they, they took it to the woodshed and, uh, course down the stretch they'd be had that dramatic game against Atlanta uh and I just was very impressed by you know not only the the contributions from the veterans there but just how well they played as a team I thought that was a great coaching job by Dom Capers uh, Jim what um what impact did Sam Mills have on that team and then the one following I'm sure we all know the story but was he as advertised as far as being the rock
4: yeah I think he had about 130 tackles that first year. I have to look at my media guide, but he, he led the team in tackles. And uh, it was just the heart and soul of the team immediately. I, I will always remember, Bill, that game at Clemson where they won. Yeah, they lost their first five, beat the Jets, and the, 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 the shovel pass that he intercepted and took down to the two-yard line. I mean, that's like one of those plays that just, like, stays in your memory if you were there or, or listening or watching. But I still remember it like it did happen yesterday. But, yeah, Sam, just from day one, was the leader of that team. Uh, I remember that season as being 21 road trips since we didn't have a home stadium. <laughs> they were building Erickson Stadium, now Bank of America Stadium. And then for those who don't know, that's a hike from, from Charlotte uh, to Clemson. That is a that is an extra hike. And the, the DOT did us no favors. I mean, there were... <laughs> hey, for you've been through Jackson, South Maryland, Carolina Wisconsin, now? And down the road. You couldn't get in and out <laughs> on a Sunday for, for a game down there to get back oh, to maybe. Charlotte. So that was... They, they, they've they cleaned that up a little bit. But um, we stayed in Greenville. We had some yeah. radio... I'm glad that happened, yeah. They yeah. um they had a hotel for us in Greenville, and so we'd stay in Greenville. What hotel Greenville was I'd that? Well, I'm a Greenville native. What hotel did they have here? I think it was the Sheraton. Was it the Sheraton, I think, Bill? We had a deal with the Capitol. Yeah, North. something like that. And it was, it was funny because,
2: you know, the first uh, couple of games, I would stay at that hotel. But then Dom Capers wanted to do his pregame interview the morning of the game. So I had to get up. And my family was with me. I was still living in Atlanta that first year. So while Jim and everybody else was battling traffic to get back to Charlotte, I would be down in Atlanta, another two hour trip to my home. We never moved until the following year, but, uh, you know, uh, that, that was a, uh, a fun time with the, with this football team and, uh, you know, I, I it was an incredible season. The win over Atlanta late. John, oh. you mentioned that. Falcons could get in the playoffs. Yeah, they were the spoilers. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and and as it turned out, they would beat the 49ers the next week to get in the playoffs. But that was that was that was a huge thing. But it was And I, uh,
3: I from a, yeah, I know some players were missing from the 49ers that, that year. I, I believe Kerry Conklin was playing quarterback at one point, if I remember the name right, in ninety-five. Um, not Kerry Collins, Kerry Conklin. I think that was the name. <laughs> But it's still a win against the 49ers in their house. I played that clip from you guys before, the call you had on NFL Films. Oh, what a win that was. And then let's go to 96 the next season. How important was it for this team with Steve Berline at the helm? You know, the week one went against Jeff George. We knew that was probably coming. But then they take down the 49ers and just demolish them, and then the rest of the season follows suit. Uh, did, did that game serve as a catalyst in your mind, Bill?
2: Well, I think – Building off what happened in ninety-five, and then I still this I call this the best free agent class ever. They brought in Wesley Walls, Steve Berline, Eric Davis, and Kevin Green. Kevin Green, yeah. Now you talk about uh, everybody on that list contributed to the team that year. Burline wasn't a starter, but he had to come in and bail carry out a few times when he got hurt. Uh, Green's impact joining Lamar Lathan. Of course, you had Salt Sam. Pepper. Salt yes. pepper. Yep. And uh, Eric Davis, I mean, his interception record held for a long time uh, with with the football team. So, and then Walls, I remember Jim and I watched practice because they were still practicing in uh, while the stadium was going on. They would practice at at uh, Winthrop. So, yeah, how is history, how is history coming yeah. around again? Yeah, because right. that's you know they're going to build a new facility down in South Carolina. But they would practice, and I remember seeing Wesley Walls in those practices, Jim. And think to myself, you know what, this guy's gonna be a big part of this offense. So that that kind of set the stage for what what happened in ninety-six. The current Panthers could use Wesley
4: Walls. We're kind of missing that <laughs> dynamic in the offense right You'd now. Steve and... Berline as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that I mean to go to be able to be twelve and four that second year. Obviously, people remember Jacksonville out of the AFC did the exact same thing, getting to the conference championship games it was great. It's interesting it was so exciting it was so new and it was fun but in hindsight you look back and you think that was the exact wrong way to build a franchise a yeah. bunch of veteran guys <laughs> because that bill came to be paid the fourth year of Dom capers getting fired going four and 12 because and they had to win the last two to get to four and 12 that fourth year because you had to uh cycle through those 30 whatever year olds and and now you delayed the true rebuilding you had some draft picks obviously along the way that you were building along But you can only have so many Sam Mills, Lamar Lathan types that uh, were, you know, getting into their 30s, and you can't sustain that. Well, we'll talk about the Cowboys game
3: later. I want to get some of your thoughts from a broadcast in on that, because it was one of the best radio calls from both of you I've ever heard in my life, and that's completely unbiased. I've listened to a lot of them. Um, But let's talk about, as we continue to go down the timeline here, what happened, Bill? What, in your estimation, and not only with getting older, the team aged, but 97 was a strange year. You know, they, they started, I think, 2-1, and one, and then they lost a handful of games after that. And, you know, they had the preseason stuff with with, with Kerry Collins that I think set them back. And they just – they weren't as sharp. They weren't as crisp. And then 98, uh, you know, it all kind of fell apart on these guys. I talked to Luther Broughton all the time, a former Tide and good friend of mine. And uh, he said that other than the 2001 season that he was a part of, that 98 year was rough. What What – what are what the key factors, Bill, just from an observer standpoint and being in the building? What, what happened?
2: Well, let's talk about the players that were not on that 97 team that had a big impact in 96. For one, remember, Kevin Green uh, did not come back in 97. He left. In fact, I remember, we were, Jim, we were doing that fantasy draft the night that happened and all the writers were going <laughs> nuts. And this is before Twitter and Facebook and all, right. all the social media stuff. Uh, they're trying to hunt down the story, and they find out Kevin Green – they ended up signing with San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken.
3: That was a double dagger there for his division so, so, rival.
2: Yeah, so so he left. They decided they didn't want Willie Green anymore, and Willie was one of one of the most clutch receivers they had. I'll in never,
3: I will never understand that move, Bill.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then let's keep going. Uh, Mark Carrier, they didn't want him, let him go. They eventually bring Carrier back because of, of how things uh, so poorly things are going uh, with the receiving core, and Howard Griffith. Howard Griffiths was a fullback on that team, and he was a big part of that success with the running game with Anthony Johnson, and they let him go. He ended uh, up winning that, a Super Bowl the very next year with Denver. Oh, hey, hey, Willie. Willie went to Denver. Willie too, yeah, exactly. He, he caught one of John Elway's, like, 50,000-yard like passes or something <laughs> like that. So yeah. I think you, you uh, all those guys leave, and the guys who took their place were not as good – yeah. And then the team got, as Jim said, the team got older, and the result was what happened over the next couple of seasons. Mm-hmm.
3: Right. Jim, uh, it, it all came to a head with Dom after 98, and the only game, I will say, you talk about knowing your Panthers here, white uh, jersey, silver pants. It's never been done but <laughs> once here against the Colts. 99 comes around. Here comes George Seifert out of the broadcast booth. Uh, a lot of talk about some potential – uh, candidates, I think uh, there were a few big names thrown around. George Seifert comes, and and look, that offense in 1999, Jim, was dynamic. I was at every game. They were uh, you guys, obviously, were they put on a show with Gil Haskell, um, and some the, the the catalyst win, I would say, the one win that stands out in your guys' minds, Jim. I'll get your take first. Is the the Burline quarterback draw that took about 27 years to develop, <laughs> but needless to say, it worked, uh, Jimmy. What special moment that was. In
4: Panthers lore, still to this day, Bronco Burline. I mean, um, it's it's funny because I've done and Bill has done too, and heard the story before, like luncheons and touchdown clubs and those things where Steve will tell that story. And the story has now become basically made for a made-for-TV movie, like Rudy, where it takes like an hour to get through the story. But he comes to the huddle, and nobody believes this is the play call that they're going to run. But that's what they came up with, and uh, and it worked. Yeah, the Bronco Burline surprise quarterback draw to win at Lambeau at, at Green Bay, and and people do forget those first two years. The Panthers were very competitive, seven and nine, eight and eight records before the one and fifteen collapse with the whole quarterback change out of Burline in, in that third year. Um, that was coming off the end of the whole Dom Capers era there. So it was kind of thinking, okay, we've got this Super Bowl multi-time champion. George Seifert, uh, he's going to lead us to the promised land. Let's go big uh, with that coaching hiring. And again, it worked for a while. People forget that that was a very exciting offense. But uh, it was, uh, again, just one of those things were kind of imploded in a short period of time. That third year, when he made that quarterback change to Jeff Lewis, who never even got out of training camp, had to put Chris Winkie in there as a rookie. And, and George, I don't know why. George, George I, I really, to this day, do not know exactly what George's problem was with Berlein in year three or what he saw in Jeff Lewis and Chris Winkie. But, I mean, that whole thing sunk, sunk the ship.
3: Yeah, Bill, I know you've got some thoughts on 012 but I'm going to save you the, the tragedy and we're going to move on to better days, which is the the great John Fox, the the, the old uh, silver bullet comes to town from New York and gets the job. And I, I think a lot of people before Twitter, Twitter would have exploded on that. How can you, a uh, defensive coordinator, going to hire an offensive coach? I think Fox was the perfect coach at the perfect time for that team. Uh, sort of a uh, – he reminded me a lot of Bill Parcells by, by his looks, but also by his toughness, his mentality. What were your first impressions, Bill, of, of John Fox when you got to know him in that 2002 season?
2: He was, uh, he was a no-nonsense guy. And uh, as you said, he was a defensive coach. And he actually challenged the Panthers. You know, he told me – He said, "You know that one in fifteen team that I inherited was probably a six or seven win team, because if you remember that 2001 season, I don't know how many times the Panthers had a lead in the fourth quarter, or they were tied, or just stopped the other team. It was zany. Yeah, it it was. was was, As as George would say, it was zany. And so Fox comes in, and remember that first year. Now I will give, let's give uh, Seifert credit for this: his going away gift." was that draft class in 2000. Oh, boy. I'm glad you said that. Dan Morgan, Chris Jenkins, Steve Smith. Maybe the best
3: draft in in franchise history when you look at it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So he leaves those guys. So then Fox comes in. They draft Peppers. Jack Del Rio was the defensive coordinator. And they won their first three games that year. They did. And they had that big win over Baltimore to start the season. I'll I'll never forget. I, I think it was Morgan. Peppers tipped it, and Morgan intercepted the pass. It kind of sealed the win. I remember Del Rio coming off the bench and, like, you know, just jumping into the two guys. And I said, there's the two number one picks the last two years making the play uh, for this team. And it wasn't all great that first year, as Jim remembers. Uh, you know, they, they won their first three, but then, you know, the uh, 2001 reared its head again where they'd be competitive and lose. Then they had a win in Cleveland. And I still have the guys. I should have brought the game, the game balls up on the thing here. Uh, John Fox gave everybody game balls. From that win in Cleveland. Uh, and that sign, they, they finished strong setting up 2003.
3: Yeah, I, I thought just from an observer standpoint, again, you know, I'm not where you guys are from a perspective there, but it, just as a, a young guy who was a fan and really took a great deal of interest in their development, looking back, that Cleveland win I think was huge for 2003. A lot of folks try to say, well, late season wins don't matter, tank for Trevor, all this stuff. Well, <laughs> get into a locker room, guys. You talked to enough players. You guys have done this a lot more than me. They're trying to put their best tape out there. And I thought that Cleveland game against a very good team was outstanding. And then, was it two, three weeks later, in New Orleans, knocking them out of the playoffs. Um, I just thought those those two games, Jim, were, were instrumental in getting them – I hate the word momentum maybe, but it was a good
4: carryover effect, no doubt. No, it's, it's a launch pad. And um, that, I think those were the building blocks of what was to come with this franchise. I think we saw that with Ron Rivera, not to skip ahead when they finish – 7 8 and 1 barely win a division. The next year they go 15 and 1 because they win a playoff game out of that. So I, I do believe, I only say both of those together as we head into this offseason. I think it was important to to get a win against Washington at the end for this year and kind of move forward with at least not a huge losing streak to begin this season because history is an indi- indicator of what's happened in the past with that. But you know, John was a good coach. He was here for nine years, took you to a Super Bowl. I think him and Ron's careers were very parallel in a lot of ways. When you kind of look at the, the whole ride of those nine years, they both went to a Super Bowl didn't win it uh kind of built their teams up and and were mostly mediocre but had some really good years that they kind of lived off of as far as playoff wise so yeah, I think John John was a solid coach and, and certainly did, should should be remembered as being a good coach here I know he takes a lot of heat for his little sayings his it is what it is and all those other things but uh, more games are lost than won. the list goes on and on but uh, he, he was a good coach here
3: you're picking a good day to have a good day today, Jim. I'm proud of you. <laughs> the
4: list goes on and on. Hey, talk to
3: personnel. I can go all day with this. Um, I wasn't even there, um, so you know, we got we, We're going to do 2003 here, and then I promise you guys, we're off the Fox thing because this is the year. I think, especially for you, Bill, that stands out in terms of at least from my view as a, as a broadcaster looking back. I said this to Eugene. One of the great things about this league. Is radio broadcast good ones that capture these moments because they live in infamy on NFL films? They log these plays, they go in the vault, and I, I am a sucker for those moments. And some of your calls that season, Jimmy, you as well, um, the, the Tampa game at home that I still say that's one of my favorite games I've ever attended. Where you know, Simeon Rice guaranteed a win, Warren <laughs> Saps running his mouth, the Carolina Prowlers out there. Uh, in the stands, this fan taunting uh, Simeon Rice in the third quarter, and then they make their comeback. And then lo and behold, Jake DeLome and Steve Smith, uh, with five different receivers, by the way, drive the length of the field against the best defense in the league and win. But there's one win, Bill, that you said was the catalyst in 2003, and it wasn't a Tampa win. It was a road
2: win in Indy. Yeah. You know, we went to Indianapolis, and we were undefeated, and so were the Colts, and they had Peyton Manning. And they were a really good football team. And the Panthers ended up winning that game. I think Stephen Davis got hurt in that game. And Deshaun Foster came off the bench. And Deshaun was a big part of the running game as well. And uh, they ended up winning that game in overtime. And I think that was the catalyst. That that proved to me that, you know, the opener against Jacksonville, DeLone comes off the bench in the second half. And you're wondering, well, was this a one-hit wonder with Jake? Nobody knew anything about him. They block an extra point. The force overtime in Tampa. There's so all many.
3: Yeah, we don't yeah. have enough time. That's the thing. Right. We need to do a whole 30 minutes on 2003. <laughs> <It was. laughs> and they're still alive. All your, I can just hear it in my head. They blocked the field goal. It's
4: all right. in Bill's book. Just read the book. <laughs>
2: right. oh, yeah. my book. Let's get a plug-in for the book. book the I should day. have brought that along, too. I don't know what I'm doing here. By the I've way, gotten, I don't know it, if you I can got see it. Out here somewhere. Just read the book. bye <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I don't know if if people can see our names on here. I am not Jane, but Jane's (laughs) – Jane's Jane's on a lot more Zoom calls than I am. So anyway – We know who's running the house. (laughs) This is true. I digress. Uh, But, uh, you know, the, the Indianapolis win was the one that I think proved not only to me and maybe Jim as well, but the team itself. You know what? We're pretty darn good. we got a quarterback here who can win on the road. And then, you know, you go through that season. I think they were 8-2 and two at one point. They went on a three-game losing streak, including that fiasco in Atlanta, oh. the Mike Vick return oh. game, where I am convinced to this day – that was an ESPN game. Yeah. Uh, was it wasn't a Sunday night.
0: Yeah. And
2: uh, I am convinced to this day that had the Panthers won, they would have clinched the NFC South, but ESPN would have never mentioned it because Vick was so good. <laughs> but they ended up clinching the next week. But that, yeah, the, the, the Colts game said a lot about that team. Yeah, Joe Theismann would
3: have uh, found a way to make it all about Michael Vick's exceptional performance instead of uh, Carolina's win, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Jimmy, the the wild card game, I know you remember this one. I I call it the perfect game, probably the most perfect game this team has ever played in a big spot, maybe with the exception of that uh, NFC title game in 15 or the the wild card in 05. I mean, those were great games, but this game, no penalties, no turnovers. Bill, you were there. Jimmy, you were there. Jim, your perspective first on what – uh, an infusion that was i was there that night we were staying at the west and downtown was like i'd never seen it before what did that do to, to create a culture with this fan base
4: no i think that's that's where you build it i think it's where postseason really builds a fan base i mean you can have great regular season moments we've covered a lot of those there but where you really get your your battle stripes as a fan i think is is earned by postseason whether it's win or lose and those are those moments that, that make history or those games that clinch it i mean i still think about Bill going back to 96, Chad cota with that interception against Pittsburgh to, to clinch that one there. So those moments that are either playoff or playoff-like that get you into the postseason and clinch it, I think those are the moments that are great. And, and you just think about that that team that went to Super Bowl 38. They were the underdog every step along the way. I mean, th- th- those Rams, that Rams team was – one of the most explosive teams in the history of football. Greatest show on turf and to to beat them and to go into Philadelphia and physically dominate an Eagles team that had been through those tough playoff losses year in and year out. that was a whole different vibe than Super Bowl 50. Super Bowl 38, we were not surprised, but we were the, the underdog, not expected to win nationally in each and every contest during that run to the Super Bowl. Then almost beat the Patriots, obviously, right. in Super Bowl 38 to cap it all off. That, that yeah, Belichick really- had
3: the game tape in advance, too, so that always
4: helped. <laughs> right. Probably the little bit of difference that made it, made
3: it happen. Wow, what a career Marty yeah, had. Um, so here, here's where I want to go with this now. We'll jump straight into this Super Bowl, but uh, I, I have to do one thing with, with Bill here. Yes, Carolina, there is a Super Bowl, and we're in it. Now, is this something we're planning out in advance? Now, because I've read the book, a lot of folks have, and help our folks understand, one of the best calls in this team history. Um, well, was, was, that, was, that, was that off the cuff, or was that something you had ready, like a Jim Vance? Like, I've got this one in the chamber, and we're going to fire it up. <laughs> uh,
2: that is correct. Um, I sat there that night. It was yes, Charlotte, there is a Super Bowl. The yeah. only reason I didn't say Carolina was because oh, our broad- I, said, I said Carolina. Sorry, man. Yeah, that's okay. But the, I'm glad you said that because the reason I didn't say Carolina, uh, first of all, it would be bad English. You hate South Carolinas. Carolina. Just
3: go ahead and say yeah. it. You don't like us down here. And <laughs> yeah, you all are all the same way.
2: But the, uh, the reason I said Charlotte is our broadcast at that point was only on the flagship station in Charlotte. All the other stations around the Carolinas, they have to carry the Westwood One broadcast. Okay. So our broadcast was just on in Charlotte. That's a good technical nugget. I did not know that. So I I thought about it that day because we were the second game. Patriots had already won. And I'm in the hotel. I'm going, God, if we win, we were 1-15 in two years ago. Crazy. I said, i got to say something. And then, you know, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, all that stuff. So I I thought to myself, yes, Charlotte, there is a Super Bowl and we're in it. And I just put it in the back of my mind. And then, you know, it was, you know, DeLome was just going to take a knee. And, and wrap it up. And that, that's, when, that's when I said that. And I followed up with, uh, you know, the, the one in 15 two years ago and what this meant for the, for the franchise and the city. And so, yeah, it was probably the one time that I, I thought of something that I might say at the end of a game and actually I ended up saying it.
4: And John, I want you to know I've never once written down a line. Every one of them's organic. I did not write down. I got a hankering for a hunk of cheese. Those were all just off the top of my head every time. And, that's and I get an amen, brother. <laughs> yeah, and that one too. <laughs> Thanks for posting that one again. Yeah, <laughs> always. I always love finding your hits.
3: Um, so the Super Bowl. I mean, let's let's touch on that. We can get into some more uh, dynamic conversation here. As we, as we wrap up, because I know you guys are short on time here. That Super Bowl, I mean, they take me through it, you know, the atmosphere, the excitement, obviously, just as a broadcaster, but also as a as a fan in in many ways, and, and the excitement of a very young franchise still going against what was uh, eventually going to be a dynasty in New England. Take me in that moment, uh, Jim, as a, as a broadcaster yourself, a fairly, uh, you know, I don't want to say young one, but at the time, these Panthers were only, what, uh, eight years old at that time? I mean, this is... That's, that's heavy stuff right there. What was that week like
4: for you? Was it surreal as I would imagine it would be? It was surreal from the standpoint of being young, but also, as I said, I mean this wasn't a team that was like a Super Bowl favorite, like Super Bowl 50, where the Panthers roll on teams through the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl. You know, every week was just a, an upset and a surprise to, to even get there. So I thought to me it was just great. I'd never been to a Super Bowl before, so let alone Super Bowl no. week, so the whole media week and all that. Bill, remember just you know, being a part of the broadcast. I mean, just getting credentialed, getting all the things you need as a broadcaster, it, no. was, it was difficult. It can be hard. <laughs> yeah, we and I was doing shows every day, uh, twice a day, broadcasting for the hotel with anyone you can get, players, staff, fans, whoever you could get, uh, trying to fill content because this is the first time, obviously, Super Bowl for this uh, this region. So as a broadcaster, as a worker, it was it was uh, eight days of, you know, love doing your job, but uh, hard work. And by the time you finally got to the game, it's like, oh, we're at the Super Bowl. And then we get there, and uh, it's such a flat first half offensively. It was oh, yeah. not – uh, any, I don't know, it was ten to three, whatever it was a. Uh, was it uh, just quickly?
3: Was it as quiet as it sounded on the CBS feed? It sounded like a high school game. Yeah, the first quarter, where they started slowly, it just sounded dead. The crowd and Super Bowl crowds can be that way, but I guess to your point, that first quarter on on CBS, it wasn't Gumbel's fault. It, the the audio was just really dead. It sounded like you could hear cheerleaders in the background cheering in the middle of the play.
4: I don't know. We were working, so I don't know uh, what it sounded like on, on TV. I'll tell you real quick, and let Bill chime in. But I didn't. We, we didn't know. I don't think Bill knew either. We didn't know what the Janet Jackson thing was till we got on the bus after the game. We had absolutely no idea because we're up in the the rafters calling the game. People were talking about the Janet Jackson thing. They we're like, wait, they did what at halftime of of the Super Bowl? But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, Obviously, by the time we got to the fourth quarter, the Panthers scored three touchdowns, almost made an incredible comeback to win it. It was a great finish and a great game at the end, but that first half was really slow.
3: Uh, Bill, did you think Carolina had a chance to go down to the wire against New England in that game,
2: realistically? Yeah, I, I thought so, because we were underdogs every week, as you mentioned. I remember when we were in Philly, I had some writer come up to me, found out I was the voice of the team, and he said, do you think you guys really have a chance tonight? I am like going, have you been watching this team yet? Look idea at Bill bringing talk? out the receipts. I love it. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I definitely thought two things I remember about Super Bowl week. One, the Patriots were staying in a great part of town at a nice hotel. Uh, the Panthers were at a mediocre hotel in a lousy section of Houston, and they told us not to go out Alone at night. So why, was called would,
1: Greenpoint?
4: It was called Greenpoint. They called it a Gunpoint. Was its nickname? Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so that's what I remember. One about that. The whole week went by for me really quickly. It's kind of like a blur. Yeah. And the other thing, I I, I tell this story every once in a while. Uh, it's it's media day, and uh, my wife, who is my statistician, she and I are Jane, down. By the,
3: the, the way, Jane, I see her on Twitter. I, I marvel at the work she does. She keeps you afloat, Bill.
2: Yes. Yes. Uh, I keep her financially afloat. <laughs> so I anyway, like we had this conversation before. Have <laughs> so, fun tonight, Bill. <laughs> so, you know, we're down on the field, the, the Panther, uh, the, the media day had ended and there's a, a bunch of reporters huddled around Jerry Richardson who was sitting up in the grant in the stands hmm. and the players are down in the field. So they're, they're kind of breaking things up. They're going to take a team picture or something. So, uh, I, I'm standing with Jane. I go, look, there's, uh, there's Jerry. He's really basking in the glory. Cause remember he had predicted that the Panthers would, uh, I think he'd win a Super Bowl in the first 10 years. Yeah, did. So this was year nine. So this, this could come true. So it breaks up. He starts walking down the steps and he comes out and he sees us and he walks over to us and he says, Hey, you guys enjoying the week? And I said, yes, sir. We're, this is, this is great. This is, uh, this is something else. And he looks at us and he says, do you guys have dinner plans tonight? And I said, I don't even know if we did or not, but I'm looking at Jane. And I'm going, well, no, no, we don't have dinner plans. He goes, well, Rosalind, that's his wife. Rosalind and I are having dinner with Bob Kraft and his wife. And he turned and left. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? No, no, no. That's uh, it's a true story. Um, that's right out of Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's
3: fantastic. <laughs> oh, I've never heard that story. <laughs> So he's basically uh, so, just he's, – he's humble bragging to you. I'm, I'm going out with craft. Yeah, yeah,
4: well, we'll see you, you later. Well, you thought Bob you were getting an invite? In screw you. Well, how's that whole <laughs> Robert Kraft thing turned out in hindsight? Not so good. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> they don't rub
2: it in. So, oh yeah, but but as far as the game is concerned, as Jim said, the, the, the first and third quarters were snoozers. And the second and fourth quarters, it was like somebody flipped a switch. Oh,
3: it's amazing. And
2: these guys came out and played. Yeah, the moose – Still the longest touchdown pass in Super Bowl history. Ricky Prol with that great catch. I always thought to this day, Fox went for two two points too early in that game. And I think if they would have just kicked extra points like they should have, if you do the math, that field goal, that Vinatieri kicks, would have been to tie the game, not win it for the Patriots.
3: Oh, be but careful, Bill, on Twitter. You know, people are going to start coming after you. No, look, I'm going to tell you this right now. I agree with that decision that um, – you're talking about. I don't think it was the right call at that time. It's, I mean, they're still very early in that game. You get all the momentum back. Deshaun makes the big run in which he plows through Steve Smith, by the way, to get there. And with the iconic dive, and I think at that point, you take the one and keep going. But I don't know. I mean, they, they, I don't like the play call they ran. Obviously, a fade to Dyson, I think it was. It wasn't exactly their bread and butter, but – um what a heartbreaker at the end, though. And then, you know, the, the image I remember from that game, Bill, because I didn't hear the radio call until the NFL film stuff uh, was released. But, and that was outstanding. Your calls and Jim as well. It was just uh, epic stuff. But the, 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 the Jake DeLome shot of him on the field just staring at the Patriots celebrating and looking heartbroken. You could see right when the kick goes through also CBS cuts to the sidelines and Fox is doing his usual chomping the Nicorette or whatever he's chewing on and just, like, shaking his head. And that team had come so far. I think they were just stunned that they could lose a close game. I really do.
2: Yeah, you're right. And I think uh, the fact that uh, that season had been one of comebacks, overtime wins, blocking extra points to force OTs—that whole thing—we just, you know, the, the, the whole season we talked about and how great they were. I I'm sure they thought when when Ricky Pro caught that touchdown pass, we kicked the extra point. Hey, we're gonna. If we're not going to win this game right, we're going to stop the Patriots. We're going to win this game in overtime. And they were devastated by that. And, uh, you know, Ricky Prohl told me this because I actually worked. Ricky and I did some broadcasting together for ISP after he retired. And Ricky said the worst feeling in the world is being on that field and losing the Super Bowl because they want you out of there. Security comes down. Because they got they got the confetti ready. They're going to have. Ricky, the, Ricky's
3: um, been through this twice now in two in three years with St. Louis, and, and now in Carolina, he's got
2: to be yeah. sick of the stomach. Yeah. So uh, he he told me he said they just want you out of there. It's like nice game, guys. Get to your locker room because we're going to celebrate with the winning team. So just imagine what that's like after you know what you go through from training camp to the playoffs to get there.
3: Yeah, it's it's a funny business when they want you out of there. And speaking of Jim, why did you get rid of Bill in two thousand four? What the story there? What why did you have your ego, Jim? I'm telling you, why did you have to get rid of my
4: beloved Bill Rosinski? No. Ten years, I just got sick and tired of hearing that. I, I said you're too I, big. You, you need to go on to national radio again, which you'd been national radio before, but yeah. I, I envisioned you as a golf announcer on radio as well. <laughs> 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 pre
3: I'm glad you did
2: because I didn't.
4: <laughs> Talk about that, Bill.
3: I mean, obviously, I don't want to put you down a road where you feel like you've got to say things you don't want or need to say or haven't said before. But I was, uh, you know, obviously stunned at what happened. You know, I was a fan of yours, and I love Mick too. So this is not a your type of thing. But I just, gosh, it just, it's it. That one hurt me, man. That is a fan of this, and I have a lot of fans agree with me. Your voice was iconic, and then all of a sudden, poof, you're you're gone. I mean. Is there anything that you can say to that that might help us understand it a little better? I know there's been some things said before, but I don't want to put words in your mouth.
2: No, uh, two things. Uh, one, I pissed the owner off. And if you're going to do that, you, you, you might not be long for this world uh, working for an organization, whether it's a, you know, a Fortune 500 company yeah. or an NFL franchise. And I complained to a writer about not getting an NFC championship ring the year before, and he took offense to that. Did you get uh, yeah. one,
4: Jim? I didn't want one because we lost. It meant more to Bill, apparently.
2: <laughs> the, the Gettleman Special. <laughs> so, uh, so there was that, and I also think they thought they were paying me too much money, which is something I'm just assuming at this point. It's never been an I,
4: issue for me, so it's never come up in that conversation. <laughs> not me either. Twenty-six
2: years. If anyone so, deserves uh, it, it's Mr. R. So, uh, you know, you put those two things together, and I had, a, I had a suspicion starting in late November that after my contract was up, they weren't going to have me back. I kept praying and hoping that would not be the case. So you didn't want to
3: leave. You wanted to stay.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't want to go. I, you know, I, I think, and Jim's been there for all of it, yeah. uh, the fact that you could be there from the, from the birth of a franchise – yeah. And we'll watch it mature and it's like raising kids, you know, then they make mistakes and then you, you're proud of them and then they screw up again. And uh, you know, so uh, that's, that's cool. I, I uh, So, you know, they let me go and uh, it was well, devastating for me. You know, the last thing you want to do is see your name in the newspaper on the headline, the sports section saying you've been fired or on a crawl on a TV screen. Uh, it happened on a Friday. I remember it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, crawl on a TV screen saying uh, Bill Rosensky fired by the Carolina Panthers. And uh, so that was that was not good. But I will tell you this. And Jim Jim mentioned golf. Uh, As it turned out, uh, you know, I did a talk show in Charlotte for a couple of years, but then I got back into national play by play. I've worked with Westwood uh, with Dan Reeves for three years. That was great. Those calls, too. That was outstanding. And then ESPN hired me for ten years. I was their voice of uh, college football. I did some NFL, and also in two thousand nine, the same year I joined ESPN, I hooked up with the PGA Tour radio network. And I will be in uh, Palm Springs uh, in the next week, calling golf again. And it has taken me to the British Open, US Open. What a gig. It's been—I mean, it's, so it's been a
3: promotion fantastic. base. I mean, I know you're heartbroken, <laughs> but you turned out okay, yeah. and you deserved it because you're all your 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 ESPN college games. I would be driving at night. Home covering a game and you know Podunk here for the Greenville News and I'd be hearing your voice with, with a number of people. I, I think it was uh, who, who was your who was your analyst that you worked with? I've had a deep
2: voice. Uh, well, I worked with David Norrie, who was the yeah uh, Norrie. Yeah. Norrie is former uh, quarterback at UCLA yeah. and uh, you know great uh, great analyst. I've I've worked with a lot of great people over the years. I worked with Jack Jack Ham, Jack Snow. Jeff Fano, Eugene, and Roman, and, uh, and a lot of great, Dan Reeves. So it's been, uh, uh, it, it, it's been a fun ride. And, you know, I'm, now I'm with Compass, and I've done some college and pro football with Compass, and I've worked with Chad Brown. I worked with Tiki Barber once on a college game this year. So it's hmm. been – in the big picture, it's worked out great for me. Yeah. But every once in a while, because I still live here in Charlotte, I think to myself, and especially when I hear Jim on the radio and, and uh, the rest of the crew – I always think, you know, what would it have been like? Had what would just... Bill Call have been?
3: That's <laughs> I, I think it all the time. Trust me, and I love Mick. Mick is a different style. Mick is a, uh, he's a storyteller. And he's got a pace and, and tone to him that is very refreshing. But Bill, your your tone and, and and your your capture of the moment was just second to none. And I always wonder about these Cam Newton plays with a Rosinski track <laughs> in the background. I you know I'm not nerding out here, but uh, hey, that's not fair to Nick uh, to Mick either. But you know look i i like you both and i just hate it ended that way but but on that note um talk about what it was like i guess jim because you're the you're the only guy that you and is it harold that have been there since the beginning or is it trainer
4: who's been here since the very beginning the, the, the only, only and... ones me our producer david langton who is Langton. that's it back then and uh and Don Toner, who's the equipment manager, used to be the assistant equipment manager to Jackie Miles, has been here uh, the whole way. Those are the only people have been to Every game, David and I obviously that streak of being at every game came to an end because we didn't travel. But the two road games this year, but we've worked we've worked every game for 26 years. Um, but yeah, as Bill said, you, it's a roller coaster. It's up, it's down, and you see people come. I've seen not only coaches and broadcasters go, I've seen the owner get run out of town. So it's, <laughs> you, you stay long enough, you, you get to see everyone. I'll get to see my exit at some point. Hopefully, you get to make oh, that choice when on. the day comes. I can't oh. do this anymore. This, I'm going to announce this right now, John. I'm exhausted. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just going down to do some Clemson pregame with me, buddy. Like, pay well. Yeah, I want to hang out at Ingles with you at the Clemson tailgate show. <laughs> I want to do that. Ingles are good people, man. Low prices, public savings,
3: by the way. Um, <laughs> would you ever consider uh, – Jim, one last question for you. Would, would, would you want to do play-by-play? Would that entice you if the offer came? I'm sure they've come before. Is that you just ingrained in Charlotte? And you see yourself as a as a PVP guy. I mean, you've done plenty of it in, in yeah. spirals roles and otherwise. but. Did, would you want to go down that road? Would you take an offer with, like, a De- Detroit or Seattle or whoever might need it down
4: Well,
3: not Detroit. At-
4: not Detroit. But, uh, yeah, I would uh, <laughs> I would absolutely do that. You know, I was down there doing the Clemson-Miami game for a touchdown that I remember. Week. I was there, too. I've done basketball, baseball. I used to do UNC Charlotte, Davidson, done Charlotte Knights. I've done, actually, national TV on ABC and with Raycom doing – college basketball and things like that. Oh, you're yeah. always on. I see
3: you ever across the board. I'm just talking about, for, you know, this particular, you know, there's only 32 of these, these mics, big yeah. mics in the NFL. Is that something
4: that, that that itches at you ever? Are you happy where you're at? Yeah, I, I'm going to keep working. Uh, that's for sure. i got a ways to go. But, uh, I, you know, I would absolutely entertain a play-by-play job as far as being the voice of a team. It wouldn't have to be NFL, like I said. I think I'm versatile enough to do baseball, to do basketball, to do college. So it doesn't have to be limited to the 32 teams in the NFL.
3: Well, I, I tell you guys, I've learned, and I hardly know either. I mean, I know Jim probably more than Bill, but i talk to you plenty on Twitter. I feel like I've known you all my life just based on hearing the calls. I mean, it's the same guy. I, my dad's a jock. I mean, you guys know he's worked in radio a long time, so I'm a little bit of a radio nerd. I would fall asleep at night when I was a kid, before the Panthers, even run, listen to Bob Costas coast-to-coast coast on a little boombox beside me in, in the bed, like eight, nine years old. So this means the world to me to talk to a couple of guys who I consider to be just radio legends in a lot of ways in the sports world. And I just think it, it's important to the new generation of fans that, that don't necessarily remember these days to, to educate them on what a special ride that was back in the Cardiac Cast days. And in and 2001, what a great season that was, right, guys?
2: <laughs> wow. you know,
3: really <laughs> Jim, where are you at? You're supposed to laugh really. at Please clap.
4: <laughs> hey, we won the first one, though.
2: We did. We <laughs> were, we're um, 1-0. <laughs> uh,
3: let me ask you this as we, we kind of close it out here. Um, and there's so much more I want to do here with you guys, but I know we're limited on time. Um, this Panthers team right now, I mean, I know you, Bill, you cover a lot. You're golf and your college football. You're in the NFL covering with Chad Brown and Compass. So you're, you're up to date on what's going on. I'll ask you first, do you think Carolina's on the right track with Dave Tepper, Matt Rule? And to this point, whomever they hire for GM, I don't think they've made a move quite yet. Where do you, where do you stand on the current situation with Carolina?
2: I think the jury's probably still out on, on the whole thing. Uh, Tepper's obviously got deep pockets. So you can spend money and uh, get what you want. He did certainly that with Matt Rule to bring him in with that big contract and the long tenure. Mm-hmm. I think this season was disappointing just because we thought more uh, – we were going to get more out of Teddy Bridgewater than we did – but they were missing Christian McCaffrey. I mean, such an integral part of that offense. And I remember David Shaw, because I did a number of Stanford games over the year. And after uh, Christian was drafted by Carolina, I was doing a Stanford game and I'm in Shaw's office. We had this production meeting with TV and radio and it broke up and I stopped and I said, Hey, uh, you know, I live in Charlotte, you you coach McCaffrey, how good is this kid going to be? And he looked at me and he said, he said, Bill, he was not only the best running back in the draft, he was also the best receiver in that draft. Mm -hmm. And obviously he proved that a a season ago with the, uh, you know, the 1,000 both ways. So uh, I think that had a lot to do with uh, what went on offensively this year. I think defensively they've got a lot of – they've got some talent there. Uh, Burns is a special player. And I just think – I'd like to see Bridgewater. Now, I, I would, you know, you've got to address the quarterback position eventually. Can they get that at eight? Maybe they trade up. I don't know, but I think you've uh, give Teddy a, another shot next year with a healthy McCaffrey, and I think that'll be a lot different because you know you go back to what Bridgewater did in New Orleans when Breeze got hurt. He won five games. Now, had a little bit more talent than Carolina, but uh, you know, Jim mentioned that win over the Redskins, and uh, I, I think that. That bodes well going into next season. It's about the draft. It's about mm-hmm. signing some key free agents. But as I look at this team, to answer your question, is was Rule the right guy to hire? We'll find out. Is but, Tepper going to be a great owner? Maybe. Uh, it's all about getting the right pieces in place. Yeah, you are what
3: your record is, as Parcell said, and we've got to start seeing some wins. Jim, I'm going to ask you this, because you're a little bit on the inside, and you, you know, don't don't get yourself fired over anything here, but the Panthers uh, are still making they the don't decision. don't want to do
2: that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> the Panthers, Jim, are still making a decision on their general manager as of uh, 321 on Wednesday as we air this or tape this. Um, no matter who they hire, it looks like it might be Adam Peters. I, I don't know if you have any insight on that, but... How important is it not only just from the higher standpoint, but for what they have to do in terms of the scouting department, the football operations side, people get caught up, I think, in the name, the GM, but you have Suleiman there. You have uh, Joe, you know, it's uh, Pat Stewart. I would say Joe Douglas for some reason. You've got some guys there that already sort of established in the front office in a role and a new GM comes in and then Matt says he wants to be the coach, but we kind of know he has a hand on roster, say, um, I guess my question is, do you think Caroline has a lot of work to do in that scouting department, football operations department? Is there going to be some turnover there, or do you think they'll hold on to who they have now?
4: You know, because we don't have that general manager in place, it's impossible to say what that is and what those relationships will be. But a lot of times there is some carryover at least for a year. You saw Marty stay for an extra year here uh, with Dave Tepper as the owner. So I think that's all to be determined as far as what that looks like. But whatever it is, at least they're getting that synergy of everybody in place. Matt Rule is going to be here for a while. A uh, long while. So I, I think you want to have the right GM and that right chemistry and then the rest of it will will build off of that. So I, I like the direction Matt Rule's headed, first of all. It's hard to speak to the, the personnel GM side because it doesn't exist yet. It'll happen here in the next day or two, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like what Coach Rule is bringing. And, and I think they're, they're headed the right direction. As Bill said, they're willing to spend money. That makes up for a lot of other things. There are some ownership groups that don't do that. So uh, I do like the general way. And, again, that culture word they use, I like that culture that Matt Rule's bring into the organization. Yeah, I,
3: I think they've done a good job getting things right. I, I liken it to the 2002 Fox season in a lot of ways. It felt like that in terms of close losses, some gutty wins late down the stretch, uh, and some growing pains. And I think they can translate that Can they do it in year two. Maybe year three. Matt likes to talk about year three. I think that's more reasonable. Bill Rosinski, Jim Zoki. Guys, thank you so much. I don't know what to say. We did this on short notice, guys, and I I appreciate y'all making time and being part of this. Um, Bill, one of my favorite calls of all of them. The king is dead. I love it, and I love looking at him. I'll always repost that stuff for (laughs) you, brother. And then the hankering for a hunk of cheese. That's the best one-two punch ever. I'm going to post it here shortly on Twitter. Guys, thanks so much for joining me, man. This was great.
2: Hey, uh, thanks for having us, John. It was great. Yeah, my pleasure. And if you want to Google uh, Clemson at South Carolina 2001, and you will see the TV broadcast with Jim and I on the call, uh, the chicken curse ended that that <laughs> That's afternoon. Right. That's right. We, we could do a show on what went on leading up to that game in our meeting with Lou Holtz. But anyway, if you want that to see, yeah. <laughs> And, but if you want to see us together on television, I would like for that. one game. And we, I mean, I, I, I right now, general, but it was, it was brutal. I mean, that season was nasty. 2001, to go down there and do that college game, I do not care who won the game, was so yeah. much fun.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, obviously, it didn't lead to us onward in tv but you know if fans want to get a get a hoot out of that one they can google that
3: oh i'll I'll go look for it right now you know me i'm a i'm a weirdo about this stuff we're gonna get it out there tonight guys thank you so much be well be safe out there and uh let's please do this again this is so much fun absolutely thanks john we're joined now by one of our favorites uh one of the great defensive backs in the nfl played with the packers played with your carolina panthers folks and uh did some radio for a long time. We're going to talk about that more with Eugene Robinson. How you doing, buddy?
1: Hey, John, I'm doing well. How you
3: doing today, sir? Fantastic, man. Couldn't be better. Life is good. And uh, I'm just thrilled that you and, and Jim and, and Bill have, have agreed to come on and talk about, I think, something a lot of fans out there have wanted to hear for a long time from you guys. We miss you. We miss the team. We miss the old crew, man. And I love yeah, no, it. I know you no, love no, no, too. No, it's, it's hard, it, too. It's been hard, man,
1: but I just, I, I'm, I'm so thankful you made time for us today. Well, the one thing that's unique about that is that uh, you you go into people's living rooms and their homes, and then you become part of the family. You become part of the, the the lexicon. You become part of everything that goes on Carolina Panthers in their world. And then people get used to get used to that big voice by Bill Rizzinski, that big magnanimous voice, <laughs> and, and then the funniness and the clever wittiness of a Jim Zoki. You just get you get used to that, and you expect it. And you, right. you expect to hear that. Absolutely. You expect to hear some of the cliches and some of the catchphrases you just do because you we're all for our beloved Carolina Panthers and you end up loving the team. So I, I totally get why people uh, miss that connection because it's a it's a piece of nostalgia. And the same thing also what that goes on for Mick Mixon and, and the crew that after yeah. after Bill left and that bit. And now what's going on now with the other guys.
3: Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, Eugene, you got to know me a little bit last year during the draft. We worked together on that broadcast, NBC Charlotte. But I'll be honest with you, I haven't had a chance to really get to know you that well. So this is fun. I go way back with this Panthers team as a fan. You know, my my dad was talking to me about it earlier. You guys in that cardiac cats run. You know, it was everything to hear your voice on those NFL Films tracks, man, when they would queue up the weekly tracks. Some of the things you were able to do from an energy perspective. What, what, how do you get that kind of, is that just the inner safety in you channeling his way into the box? It was a contagious thing to hear, Eugene.
1: Yeah, for the most part, like when I started, when when David Langton offered me the job and I I, I attacked it the way I and prepared the way I would prepare for a football game. Right. And so I would consume tons of film, watching the quarterback, watching what the, what, what the running back was doing, watching third down, first down, second down. And then as I would have that happen, when it would unfold for me in a football game, I would just go ahead and react based on what, you know, parameters of our defense, where we were, but I would react on, to the stimulus I've seen, but I would react rightly based on what I knew to be right, based on all the things I've studied. And so I brought that same energy because it was part of me of doing that. I had to take control of the secondary or that defense like this. Hey, the ball's coming over to my right. Trust me. You know, watch the trap. <laughs> right. the, the trap's about to happen. <laughs> I need to, him to move up. We need Cleo clear force. You know, so, so I'm doing all that rotating back and forth in my mind. When I got in the booth, I wanted to do the exact same thing. But now I got plenty of time to say it. And I can wait <laughs> right. for him. Um, uh, a bill to set it up, do his thing, and I'm going. Oh, this is easy because now <laughs> I, I give you what I just. I, my the hardest part for me, John, was trying to stop and give you. There were so many things that was happening, but just give you what was what was most important and what was pertinent, and tell you uh, why it happened.
3: Yeah, well, I think you did a great job. I know a, a lot of folks agree with you that <clears throat> your energy level was unbridled. I, I look at it that way too. But you did a good job of balancing Eugene. I wanted to tell you that during this episode. And it's something I've always, as a broadcasting nerd, looked at in terms of how these analysts conduct themselves. And some I think are pretty milk toast. They don't give a lot of energy, especially with a home team they're covering for. But they do break the game down pretty well. You did a great job of saying, you know, boom, what a hit. Or, you know, just play, just sounding like your old self playing safety back there in the box. But then you take that five, six seconds after and explain the the, the schematics and the dynamics yeah. of what happened. I thought it was great. Is that a challenge for young guys coming into this business as an analyst? You ever talk to these guys and say, you know what? Find balance between the high energy and also giving the facts.
1: Well, absolutely. Because um, here's the great, the great thing about playing quarterback and playing middle linebacker and free safety is that. You got to know everything. So you could be on the line, offensive line, and not know what's going on in the secondary or what's going on even behind you or what's going on with the receivers. You just know what the line play is. But as a quarterback, you better know everything about your offense, <laughs> everything yeah. about what's going on with the receivers. You got to chase plays. And as a free safety or the middle linebacker, you got to do the exact same thing. Yeah. No so you have this analytical academic side of you that you've studied that you got to be able to communicate um, to your guys, communicate to the coaches, communicate to the fans, and so that's a you, you got to have that. But then you got to have the, also the energy, I think, to bring it so that it makes sense. Because don't forget, nobody wants a boring broadcast. Nobody, nobody wants, wants. They that. want you to be hyped about their team. This is their team. Yes. And you got to nope. know that. <clears> the <throat> Panther spin on just about everything, even when they make a mistake. <laughs> even when you see, oh man, Teddy Bridgewater, he like to have a <laughs> throwback. You know, one of my favorite things you would do.
3: One of my favorite things you would do. You were very fair. Now, when things were bad, when there was something happening, when Jake would throw a pick or when Cam would fumble, something bad would happen. Hey, you gonna call them out? But man, the fans that are listening in the tailgate or in their car or wherever they might be at home, they want to hear an analyst say that call was terrible by the ref. And it, it really was. I mean, they were called, like the Calais Campbell, you know, where yes. he up Newton's legs. And I remember one call that you were like, where's the flag? Where's the flag? And that's, that's the nature of your job. I just think
1: you captured it so well, Eugene. It was fantastic. Well, thank you very much, John. I appreciate that. And I, I, told, I, I, go, I wear a number of hats in the booth. I wear the hat as an analyst. I wear the hat as a football player, as a coach, as an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and more importantly, as a fan. I yeah. put on that fan hat and go like this. Oh, how would I normally react to seeing LeBron James do a dunk with somebody? Well, see <laughs> exactly. It. How would I react to that? You I have the huge, man. Reaction. Yes, brought the juice.
3: And that, yeah, it was, it was contagious. Uh, and again, <clears throat> one thing I've talked to Bill about over the years, Bill and I have talked quite a bit on, on Twitter and through text, and, and Jim and I are close too. The, the amount of, of NFL film stock footage there is out there with your voice on it, with Jimmy's voice on it, and, and, and dating back to 1995, with, with Billy's voice on it, and now Mick as well, and, and Kurt and Jake and those guys, <clears throat> man, it's, it, I, I think that's such an overlooked part of the NFL media business and the NFL legacy, Eugene, is the NFL film's legacy of these stats or these uh, highlights will go in the vault forever. 20 years from now, we're still pulling up cardiac cats highlights with your voice on it. And I would just think from your perspective, that, that would be one of the coolest things about this whole experience.
1: One of the coolest things uh, is Bill Rozinski, he's, he's broadcasting that game. We're down and, um, against the, um, the, the Rams, that playoff game that we oh, – yeah. Ricky Manning Jr. had about two or three interceptions. Yep. But that Excellent. one play, that play with Jake DeLone has that little ghost route to a Steve, Steve, uh Steve Smith on the left hand side. And he I think he fakes out uh I forget the the, the defensive back. Um oh, I forget his name. But he <laughs> fakes left and goes right and hits him right in stride. As Bill is talking, I'm yelling in the background, it's over, it's over, it's over. <laughs> I had no idea what? I was even doing that. I yeah. had no idea. That that combination between Rozinski's
3: call and, and Zoke was out there. I heard Zoke in the background. Woo! I could hear his yep. voice. And then I heard you. It's over. It's over. And then Bill said, and we are going to the NFC Championship game. That is a brilliant sequence of, again, I'm a broadcast nerd, so I the fans out there are like, what's this guy talking about? I think you get it, though. That is a brilliant sequence. It was so well-coordinated, and it was so easy. Let me ask you this. You, you know, you, you were a part of – A lot of great teams as a player and then obviously you transition into the broadcast booth and a lot of fellow players do that and you did it fairly seamlessly I think of all those games, um, you know, X clown the Philly championship game with the Sean's run, uh, you know, the Super Bowl, I mean, and then you go into the Cam Newton era. What's the one game to you that stands out is, is your most – what's the one game you say, gosh, that was a great time, win or lose, that was so much fun calling that
1: game? That ex-clown play by Steve Smith and, and Jake DeLome, outstanding. You mentioned also the championship game, and I can remember seeing Deshaun Foster run on the right-hand side, and I – and the very first thing when I saw him in the backfield, I was like, oh, but he's gonna get stopped for what's the name. And right. then I saw that rumbling, bumbling, stumbling, <laughs> bumbling, back and forth. And as he's moving forward, I was like, oh my goodness. He's about to do a touchdown. He's yep. about to eat. He's about to yep. go ahead. And it would it I was literally as as Jim, I mean, as um as Bill was calling to play, I was rising out of my seat because I felt what everybody else felt like what. Folks. Box- let me tell you,
3: I, I, I do a little bit of a radio on a much lower scale, but I know the play-by-play biz. There should be a webcam with you guys in every play. Because I did this with Cleveland when they made yes. the playoffs, and you saw the play-by-play guy getting up, and, it, and it's almost over, and Baker's going to go down. And and these. guys, I, I think people underestimate the amount of energy and the amount of focus it takes with you know your, your play grids and all the stuff you have to pay attention to and the spotters out there telling you what's going on. It's not just easy showing up and saying, "Oh, here's what happened. Here's what happened," no. and then at the perfect moment, you guys, I thought, just crystallized. It was, you know, I was a fan. I'll be, I'll, I was a homer. I still am. I'll be honest with you, but I've moved into the analyst world here. But Eugene, man, that run between oh three and oh five, and even 04, which was an impressive run, given the fact that Smitty was out. How about that 05 team, though?
1: Going to Chicago, going to New York, and almost taking it to Seattle in the end when they were yeah, and out almost, and, the almost, and almost taking it to Seattle in the end, too. That, yeah. was, a, that was a very, very good, solid team. I mean, oh, so good. a cohesive team. Yeah. But you, to win championships, and I've been a part of a championship with the uh, Green Bay Packers, and we went to the yep. bowl uh, with them, and then I went with Atlanta. There has to be a cohesion. There has yeah. to be, everybody has to know their role. Everybody right. had to know what they're doing, what know their role, and stay in your lane. And in the broadcast booth, it's the same thing. Right. I cannot be Bill Rozinski. I'm not Mick Mixon, and I'm not Jim Jones. And, and he can't be you either. He'll and, tell he, you that. that. And so what you want to do is uh, Bill and, and, and Mick have to tell you what happened, and then you have to tell you, as a color analyst, we got to tell you why it happened. Right. And you got to be able to go with the why. Why right. did it happen? Did the defensive back fall down? The, were they playing cover two and you attack the middle? You cover two, you attack the goal routes on the outside, the corner routes. What, what do you attack? Is it, uh, is it a West Coast offense? Is it the RPO that they're doing right there? Just suck the running back up.
3: You were I mean, Romo before yeah. Romo. Hey, listen, you were Romo before Romo came along in that department. I'm telling you right now, you're going to laugh. But in between the excitement and the hype man stuff you did, which was, the, I, of course, in your analyst role, you need to do that as a homer. As a, you got to get that in you but you would slip in some coverage schematic stuff. You would talk about, you know, cover three versus cover two where the high yeah. safety is, angles, you know. And I think fans sometimes would, would would overlook that and say, you know, Eugene brings a lot of energy, but there was so much substance, too. I, I, I tell you what, I just
1: – you don't hear a lot. A you don't hear a lot of that. Hey, Jeff, That's the analytical part of me because I'm a yeah. computer. My my major is computer science. Yep. Uh, and so that's the computer science of part of me right there. That you got to analyze. The, you got to know the academics. My mentor told me a long time ago: if you don't know where the ball is going, all you is a, all you are a great athlete running around. Yeah, I said, if you right. know where the ball is going, you become a great athlete. who becomes a better athlete. You become a superb athlete who's going to make plays and change the game.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to ask you this, Eugene, and I've, I've loved reflecting on some of this. I know you're kind of short on time today, but man, first of all, thanks for making time. Like, this was a thing we threw out last minute. You've been so kind, as well as Bill and Jim. Um, I, I know you're still involved with, with sports media here. I talked to Nick Carboni, our friend, today about it. Uh, you're doing work with those guys. Do you have a CNC Charlotte sign in the background there? I love that. Um, where do you stand right now with this Panthers regime? It's year two for Matt Rule. They're still waiting to hire a GM. They've interviewed about forty-five guys. It seems like uh, year one in the Matt Rule era. What what stood out? Positive, negatives, and where do you think they're trending?
1: I was I was happy to see that Coach Rule had really got a a handle on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, you could tell that the guys absolutely respect him, no doubt. And he really kind of I thought like, dared himself by by really accommodating the players and meeting them where they are. There's been Mm -hmm. some stuff in the locker room where they had some questions that hey, I like to talk to the player myself and he was accommodating that goes a long, long way because it builds relationship. He's a relationship builder and then he's realistic about knowing where they are and where Mm -hmm. they're going and he he wasn't too like he gave himself some latitude and some grace Mm -hmm. to go ahead and the team some places to fall and fail. But he also encouraged them to move forward. And when I see this team, I saw the offense way ahead of the defense. Then I saw the, de- the offense take a dip. But I saw the defense start to trend upward. And I said, you better watch out next year because they are really player away. And if offensively you get back CMC back in this mix, yeah, look I up. said, we give Teddy Bridgewater so much flack a little bit. I said, but don't forget, it's like not having Elvin Kamara for the Saints. Not having that dude? Oh, that it's dude, huge. It's huge. That dude got 15 touchdowns to four. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I turn around, Kamara's, yeah. And, John, not having CMC, I think Teddy Bridgewater, as good as you are, you didn't become as great as you can be and win more games because you are missing a huge component, that CMC, which is a big deal. So I think we're trending up because we're going to get a lot better moving on next year as we move into next year. There's no doubt in my mind
3: couple more questions for you, and That's great insight as well. I want to hit on the defense as we close out here in a minute. Uh, this is a, a very high likelihood that, that Joe Brady might be leaving. Uh, we don't know yes. that for sure. We don't know where. Atlanta seems to be the destination possibly. That, that double hurts. <laughs> but I, I will say this. I'm, I'm a historian of everything Panthers. 2000 was your year here. That was the year Gil Haskell left. He was there in 99, built a machine. I talked to Luther Broughton, a friend who played a while back. He's a good friend of mine. And Gil built a machine of an offense. And he left and go to Seattle. And, you know, they, they didn't quite click quite the same in 2000. Is there a, a possibility that there could be that challenge again? Not that Carolina's offense was perfect, but year one going to year two with a brand new coordinator. Is that a
1: challenge that, that is worth noting? Quite, yeah, quite honestly, absolutely there is because it's about continuity. Right. It's about hearing the same voice right. and not hearing a different voice that you've got to get used to. Uh, your quarterback, the quarterback is the most important person on that offense, no doubt, on any team. And that quarterback has a relationship with the offensive coordinator that most people don't have with the coach. It's like it's a marriage that you've got going on that you don't – that that. You got to run that offense. And so you're really married to each other. Now, having that separation, divorce, you know what divorce has done in our country. You got to go ahead and get used. You just don't start dating somebody else. You got to get used. There's a a whole bunch of stuff that has to go down. So (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. I hope Brady doesn't go because the marriage that's been taking place already, this honeymoon thing that's all over, now you start and you start from a very strong place. But if you – have a new coordinator step in, you got to start all over.
3: And, and what if they do start over, Eugene? I mean, I know Anthony Lynn is a, is an old Parcells guy. So was Joe Brady. And, and so was Matt Rule. That's a name that came to mind saying, so, you know, he's vacant. He's out there now. He's been a coordinator before. Of course, they have Jeff Nixon on staff. I think that's a logical choice. If he does leave, and it's all hearsay now, but I think he might leave, where do they go, do you think? And, and how? How would you approach it? Would you stay in the NFL? Would you go back to the college ranks? How would you go about doing this?
1: I think it's it would be incumbent and imperative about coach imperative for coach rule to pick somebody who knows that offense. Yeah. Because I don't I don't want to have to learn a new offense. And I want to keep the vernacular the same. I want everything to stay the same. So it makes sense that you replace if Brady does leave, you got to replace someone who knows that offense so that it's not this marriage thing that has to happen with between the the offensive coordinator and the quarterback is seamless. Yeah. it can't be so abrupt. It, no. it, it can't, it can't be abrupt because if you have to learn the West coast offense now, oh, a yeah. run and shoot offense, yeah. power game offense, Now, yeah, you could do it, but everybody got to learn it. Right. And now you got that's 11 true. people got to hit on all cylinders and make it happen. Yeah. So that's why it's incumbent and imperative that coach rule. If he does happen to leave, My thing with I'm getting somebody who knows this offense. Yeah.
3: Well, last question for you, Eugene, as we get you out of here in a timely manner. And, again, thank you for making time so much. Eugene Robinson, of course, former uh, Panthers analyst, still does a lot of work for the Panthers, and one heck of a credentialed NFL player. Talk to me about Jeremy Chin. Uh, This is the one guy on this defense, along with Brian Burns, Here's what I tell people. I watch a lot of film. I never played at your level, but I'm, I'm a nick. And I tell people, look, with this defense, as long as Burns and Chen are on the field, they've got a shot. Everything will be all right. When they're not on the field, when one's out, one's not, ooh, they add some holes. But to Phil Snow's credit, they built a better unit over the last six weeks and a lot of people give them credit for. They've rushed Aaron Rodgers. They built that net we talked about back with Michael Vick, kept him contained, and they did a great job. Jeremy Chin, though, I just see so much potential there with his hustle, with his versatility, his coverage is getting better. What kind of player is this? Is he a safety linebacker? Where do they put him ultimately, you think?
1: I would put him immediately, and I asked Coach Rule this, at the safety position. Does, is he a linebacker? I said I said to Coach Rule, could I see Jeremy Chin in this role like I saw Leroy Butler and Troy Palomaro, two guys who should be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Yeah. And, I'm like, we were able to take Leroy Butler and put him at the line of scrimmage. Yep. And then he's at a linebacker depth. Then he's at safety depth. We utilized him all over the field because he was so dynamic and so, right. and so destructive. Oh, I remember it, yeah. <clears throat> Boy Palomaro, the same thing. You saw him back. You saw him forward. You saw him everywhere at the line of scrimmage. Jeremy Chen needs to have the same flexibility and latitude because that young man will make plays. He is what everybody was talking about Isaiah Simmons, and I'm a big Isaiah Simmons fan uh, fan from Clemson, but getting Jeremy Chen, I said he is the best steal in the draft. I remember it. We talked about it. Yeah. That that guy is a future, future Hall of Famer, and the only thing that's going to really change his game, if I had to give him any advice, Jeremy, I used to do this in practice before and after practice. I would catch 100 balls before practice, 100 balls after practice so that when I got around the football, I didn't have to worry about whether I was going to catch it or not. I just <laughs> caught it. Right. I got 57. In, well, actually, I got 62 interceptions. Dude, you can lead the league consecutively just with your ability because you're always around the ball right. to get interceptions. So just catch the ball because, young man, you are a gem. And I'm mm-hmm. a huge fan. A huge fan of Jimmy yeah. Cheney.
3: Eugene, as we wrap up, first of all, I want to say thank you. You've always been a real a real gentleman in this community, and you've been one of the best in the business on the field and in that broadcast booth and with what you do in the community. What, what can we plug for you in terms of what you're doing right now? Anything going on? What, 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 where can we find your work, and, and what is Eugene up to these days?
1: So what I do currently, I work for NBC, uh, the WCNC affiliate here in NBC. I work for the Charlotte Today Show. Um, yeah. Myself and Beth Troutman, we're doing our thing, and it was uh, Colleen Odegaard, but she ended up leaving. I miss you, Colleen. Uh, so I, I, do the, I do that show. And then uh, the other thing, I'm a coach. Yeah. I am a coach at heart. I coach football, wrestling, and track. Right now, nice. because of COVID, I'm not wrestling, but track season is right upon us, and I'll be doing track, and so... I'm at Charlotte Christian. Our, we just had our, our, our thing with our coaching staff. I mean, our conference with Country Day, Providence, Latin. I'm mm-hmm. in the, um, the private school sector. I absolutely love it. That is what I do, and that's kind of what my calling is, as being a coach and imparting stuff to kids, and I love it.
3: Well, there's nobody love better it. to handle that role than, than one Eugene Robinson. One last thing as we wrap up and let you go. Give me and it's over. It's over real quick. I want to hear it. Come on.
1: It's over. It's over. It's (laughs)
3: over. (laughs) Yes, and they are going to the NFC Championship game. Eugene Robinson, you're the best, man. Thank you, buddy. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road, man.
1: Take
5: care, buddy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.